On Ash Wednesday, Joe and I started a sermon series for Lent this year on the last words of Jesus from the cross. On Ash Wednesday, we looked at the first word from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And today, the second one, Jesus' word of grace to the thief who was executed with him from Luke chapter 23. One of the criminals who were hanged with Jesus kept deriding him saying, are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then the thief said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to the thief, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. At the seminary, which attempted with modest success to educate me, our philosophy professor was a brilliant thinker named Diogenes Allen. Diogenes Allen occupied the Stuart Chair of Philosophical Theology at Princeton Seminary for 21 years. And I always suspected that little Diogenes' name thrust upon him an inescapable destiny at a very young age. I mean, how can you play shortstop for the Chicago Cubs with a name like Diogenes? Philosophy is the only thing you can do. And I'll always remember the pointed question he addressed to our class regarding this second word of Jesus from the cross to the thief crucified with him. Which kind of thief are you? He asked us. It's a penetrating interrogation, a little blunt and censorious, but I will pose it nonetheless. Which kind of thief are you? According to the Gospels, Jesus was crucified with two thieves, one on his right, one on his left. And one of the thieves joins the taunts of the onlookers and mocks the crucified Messiah. Ha! Some savior you are, gallivanting across the countryside, curing hangnails and acne. And now when we need a real miracle, where are you? Save yourself and us. But, of course, the other thief, perhaps recognizing where such insolence had landed them both, tells his mafioso buddy to shut up. Yo, bro, put a lid on it. You and I deserve what we're getting up here, but what has this man ever done but love and love and love? And then turning to Jesus, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, who knows what motivated this last-minute attitude adjustment, right? Seems a little mercenary, doesn't it? A lot of these deathbed confessions seem a little suspicious, as if the dying man were determined to have all the fun in this life and then at the last instant enjoy the felicity of the next life as well, as if he's taking a joy ride on a runaway lifestyle in a red two-seater Mercedes convertible and then leaps out of it just before it crashes over the cliff. Perhaps his little confession to Jesus was mercenary through and through, a last-ditch attempt to leap straight from hell into heaven. But whatever the motivation, Jesus doesn't seem to care. 
and accepts it as sincere. And who knows, maybe it was. Luke doesn't tell us, and Jesus doesn't care. All you've got to do is to know who you are, what got you here, and where to find help. Today, says Jesus, before the sun sets, you will be with me in paradise. Paradise, an old Persian word the Old Testament uses to describe the Garden of Eden. And so there they are, the two thieves. One, a a sneering knave till the end, and the other, at the last minute, a penitent child of God. But they're both thieves. There are no saints on Golgotha. It's just convicts and a Savior. We're all in this together. There's only one distinction. Are you blind or do you know who you are? Now, it's hard to face the truth about ourselves sometimes. Ten-year-old boy knocked on the front door of his neighbor's house, and the man answered, and the boy said, Mr. Fulton, something that belongs to me is in your garage, and I want it back. And so when the neighbor walked with the boy to the garage and opened the door, he instantly noticed two things. He noticed that there was a baseball on the floor of the garage, and there was a baseball-sized hole in the window of the garage, And he said, Tommy, how do you think this baseball got into my garage? And Tommy takes one look at the baseball and another look at the baseball-sized hole in the window. And he says, wow, Mr. Fulton, I must have thrown that baseball straight through that hole. (laughs) It's hard sometimes to face the truth about ourselves. Now, I I suspect most of us are conscientious, law-abiding, hard-working citizens. We try to get it right. We try to do our best, right? We're embarrassed if we get a a parking ticket. None of us have even shoplifted so much as a pack of gum from the 7-Eleven. We've always been faithful to our spouse and have never cheated on an exam at school and never claimed the TV in your den as a business expense with the IRS. That doesn't mean we're not part of the human condition. I don't know about you, but... I sometimes have been a larcenist of laughter. Sometimes I've shoplifted joy. My daughter never walked until she was five years old. From the instant she stood up on her own two feet, she hopped and skipped everywhere. It was a little disturbing. One time I said to her, would you stop bouncing off the walls like a crazy person? I didn't mean it, but I said it. A friend used me as a confessor the other day. He admitted that to his 14-year-old son, whose first girlfriend had just broken up with him, he said, you'll get over it. It was just puppy love. Before the words were out of his mouth, he was punished with regret. Have you ever verbally scoffed at a young colleague at the office because of a far-fetched idea? That'll never work. And so at Calvary, you don't find any saints, just two thieves and a savior. We're all in this together. Are you blind or do you know? My church in Connecticut is 36 miles from the World Trade Center and 44 miles from Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, Connecticut. And so my two most vivid memories of my time with those folk are from September 11, 2001 and December 14, 2012. 
None of us in my congregation were directly impacted by either of those events, but every one of us knew somebody who died on 9-11, and those two events seared themselves into our memory. So do you remember the nation's resolve after Sandy Hook? In the five years since then, there have been 239 school shootings. 438 people have been shot, and 139 have died. So Joe and Katie and I decided to preach this sermon series months ago. It was months ago when we assigned this word of Jesus to the thief on the cross to this Sunday. Before, long before I knew that two violent, almost unimaginable brigands would be all over our new news media this week. I won't even speak their names, but I'm thinking of that man who shot Commander Bauer in Chicago. And of course, that unthinkable person who took those beautiful lives in Parkland, Florida on Valentine's Day of all days. I don't know if that coincidence is good or bad, but it's certainly challenging, isn't it? To talk about Jesus' grace in the presence of such titanic malice. How far is God's grace meant to stretch? Even there? Well, enough with all that gloom and doom. Let me end with some good news from our glad God. One of my favorite authors is Emily Dickinson. I think she might be the most creative American author of all time. And, you know, um, she struggled with her faith, right? She strove mightily to have a personal relationship with God, but firm and certain faith never came very easy to her. And this made her an outsider in her family. They were all pious, observant New England Calvinists. They attended worship faithfully at the First Congregational Church of Amherst every Sunday. And every day in their parlor, they would have a prayer service and a Bible reading. And Emily had many minister friends. Some people even think she had fallen in love with one. And she was intimately, uncommonly familiar with Scripture. There are allusions and quotes and references all through her poetry to the Bible. But she never joined a church and stopped attending at some point in her life. Some people keep the Sabbath going to church, she famously wrote. I keep it staying home. And this made her feel like an outsider in her circle of family and friends and at the village of Amherst. She couldn't figure out how they could find faith so easily and so readily. And here and there in her poetry and letters, she seems almost terrified that she would be left out of the embrace of God's grace. And I love the poem that I printed at the beginning of our literature this morning. She calls it simply a dialogue. Her vocabulary is a little obscure and her syntax broken. But the idea of the poem is very simple. In her imagination or in a dream or in a vision, she encounters a rustic Galilean in rough carpenter clothing. And he says to her, come to me. She responds, I do not know you. Where may be your house? And he says, I am Jesus, late of Galilee, now of paradise. Wagons have you to convey me, she asks. It is far from thence. He says, rest back into my strength. 
She protests. I am, par- I am spotted. He says, I am pardoned. She protests again. I am small. And then he says, the least is esteemed in heaven. The chiefest occupy my house. Almost the same words Jesus spoke to the thief on the cross. Occupy my house. Come home. Someone here wonders if God's love is bigger than her doubt. Someone here wonders if there even is a God. Someone here wonders if he will ultimately be numbered among the children of God. But the truth is this, that God's love is thicker, God's grace is broader, Jesus' mercy is stronger than all our flaws and fumblings and failures. And that is a terse praise of the entire New Testament in one last word of Jesus from the cross. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, amen.